Welcome to the Detox Diaries podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Gwena, certified holistic health coach and detox enthusiast, and I'm here to talk all things detox. Toxins exist in our lives in many forms, from the foods we eat, products we use, people we spend time with, and even the thoughts in our heads. Here we discuss how various toxins may be sapping our energy and vitality, and how we can detox to create a life we love. Each week, we'll discuss everything from nutrition, clean beauty, body image, stress management techniques, career and business, relationships, you name it. Whether it's with a guest or just yours truly, we'll get real, raw, and honest and provide tangible tips to detox all areas of our lives. If you're ready to step into the most vibrant version of you, let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Detox Diaries podcast. I apologize if the audio is a little weird. There's a lot of sound outside and there's kind of nowhere I can be that doesn't sound bad. So <laughs> we're just rolling with it. Uh, but today we are doing a Q&A episode. I have some of your questions that you sent on Instagram and then some things that have come up with clients often that I think would be helpful for you listeners. And I will just get right into it. So the first question that I get a ton is, what is the best workout to do? And I'm sure that everybody has heard a ton of different advice when it comes to this. And they probably heard this piece of advice too, which is honestly, it's whatever you like to do, whatever you will actually do is the right workout to do. Because honestly, at the end of the day, everybody's body is different, first of all. So it's really hard to give kind of a blanket assumption of what the right workout is for any individual person. And secondly, doing it is what's important. So if it's something that you hate to do and you're not going to do it for that reason, then obviously it's not the right workout for you. Also, if you hate to do it, it's, I mean, I don't really think any of us should be forcing ourselves to do something that we don't like to do, that anything that is, you know, not making us happy or feel good also has an impact on our health. So I would start off by saying whatever you like to do. And some of you may be thinking, I don't like to do anything. (laughs) I don't like working out, period. What I would say is to really be adventurous and give things a chance. So, you know, maybe you're somebody who is only really experienced like going to a gym kind of thing. And I never really loved that either, like running on the treadmill or being on the elliptical or just doing free weights. The gym environment's never been anything that I really liked, but I do love Groove fitness classes. And for me, once I was introduced to Soul Cycle, that was like opened my eyes to like, wow, working out could actually be fun. I could actually look forward to it. And I really, really enjoyed Soul Cycle. And it kind of opened me up to trying all different things. And actually, for me personally at this point, I still love Soul Cycle, but I think given what's been happening with me and my anxiety and just in general feeling like things that are less intensity and a little bit more calming are good balancing for me with my personality. Um, So I've actually been doing a lot of former Pilates. There's a new hot yoga studio that opened um, in my neighborhood. So I've been doing that, which is awesome. So kind of experimenting with things that are a little bit more slower paced and more of a strength training and resistance training kind of thing, but I know that I definitely am still a group fitness person. I will do at-home workouts, but I definitely thrive off of the group element, and I feel like it makes me, it just makes me feel more invested in the process kind of thing, and 
I don't know, there's something about going somewhere and getting the workout in. I just know that it's something for me that I enjoy. But again, everybody's different. So maybe you've tried group fitness classes and you're like, they, I feel intimidated or, you know, everyone's got different feelings or you just with COVID still don't feel super comfortable being around a bunch of other people, then at-home workouts might be for you. So giving it a shot. And the other thing that I would say is, you know, maybe you have tried, let's say, reformer Pilates before or yoga and you're like, "Eh, I didn't really love it. I would still say I would definitely always give, unless you absolutely hate something, I would give even the same studio another chance because sometimes just getting into the groove of something makes you like it a little bit more. Like, for example, uh, New York Pilates is one that I go to a lot now. And the first time I went, I was like, I don't know if I love this place. And the second time I had a different instructor. And since then, I have felt like all the different instructors I've tried, I've really enjoyed. So I would say definitely give things a chance, whether it's mixing up the studios that you go to and then, of course, different workouts. So and just be open to trying things and also be okay with not being good at stuff, because I think that I know for me as someone who is you know, a perfectionist type, I would feel like I didn't like certain workouts because I wasn't good at them and that bothered me. But you don't need to be quote unquote good at a workout to be getting the benefits of it. And I've kind of accepted that I'm really not somebody who's good at workouts. (laughs) The instructor always has to come around and correct me. There's always going to be moves that I can't quite do. And that's totally fine. I'm still getting tons of benefits from these different workouts. So I would say definitely releasing that feeling like you need to be good at something in order to feel confident going. Something that I will say is that strength training is something that I would definitely try to incorporate into whatever you're doing as somebody who just did cardio for a very long time. I know and someone who also believed that I needed to do cardio because I needed to burn off the food that I was eating, which again is just not the reason that we're working out. Instead of, I can't remember where I heard this, but I loved it. Instead of thinking of it as you're working out to, so you can eat, essentially, it should be the other way around. You're eating to fuel your body so that you have the strength to work out and obviously to do all of the things that, that life offers to us and the things that we want to do, of course. So I would say releasing that whole idea that cardio is burning off calories and that it's making up for the food that you're eating when actually the reality is that strength training builds muscle and when we have more muscle on our bodies it increases our basal metabolic rate which kind of essentially means that we are naturally burning more calories in a resting state so actually strength training is the way to go even if you're looking to lose weight and not necessarily build muscle. And that's the other thing I think people are scared of getting bulky with strength training. And that is really, I mean, extremely rare for that to be something that happens, you know, in women I'm speaking to specifically, obviously in men, you probably most likely want to be getting bulky. But for women, you know, we're typically going after more of a leaner look. And that is just naturally what our hormones provide for us, even when we're lifting heavier weights. So that's not really something that we need to be afraid of. But also strength training includes things like yoga and Pilates, where we're just using our own body weight as well. So if you feel like you don't want to be actually lifting weights, you can also use those other uh, forms of workouts as a way to build strength in your body. And of course, those also build flexibility, which is amazing for us just in general in terms of recovery and you know preventing injuries and then of course as we age it's really important for us to be as flexible as possible so I would just say 
definitely get out there, experiment. There's got to be something out there that you like. And worst case scenario, I think everyone pretty much likes to take a walk, (laughs) whether it is you're doing it with a friend or with your husband or you are, you know, listening to a podcast, like finding a way to make it as enjoyable as possible. And walking can really have a major health impact on our body. It's great, not only in terms of just the mental benefits that it has, which is true of all of these workouts, any workout that we do, any movement for our body. But the more that we walk, we can really start to see the body composition of our bodies change. And they do say that if you walk five plus miles a day, it can really alter the shape of your body. And it does not have to be power walking. You don't have to be working up a sweat. You know, if you're someone who has a treadmill at home, you could just be walking at a slow pace on the treadmill while you read emails or watch your favorite show. So basically any way that you can move your body that you enjoy is going to be beneficial. Uh, The next question is, and I do get this sometimes, that people will say they started eating healthier, so they've done things like they're cutting out dairy and sugar and they're actually feeling worse. And why would that happen? And I know that this happens for some people and then they end up just going back to what they were doing before because they really aren't feeling well. But the truth is that we experience withdrawal from things like dairy and sugar like they are actual drugs. So obviously we're all aware of the fact that when we go through withdrawal from drugs, we don't feel well. (laughs) And it's really the same thing. And basically when we talk about sugar in general, it releases opiates in our brain, which spike dopamine, much like drugs do. And there was a really interesting study that showed that Narcan, which is something that they give to people when they are experiencing an overdose from opiates, when you are injected with Narcan, it binds your opiate receptors so the drug can no longer bind to it, and that's how it actually stops those overdoses. And when they have used Narcan on people in various studies, it has had impacts on their desire for sugar. So we're pretty much able to conclude that sugar really binds to those same, the opiates that that releases bind to those same receptors. And that is the same thing that we experience when we are eating sugar. It's basically the same thing as other opiates, which is, I think we all know at this point how addictive those can be, and sugar is no different. And the other thing that's interesting in the study, because again, You always hear about people saying that sugar and fruit could be too much for us, but these opiate releases do not happen when people eat fruit or other natural amounts of sugar. It comes when we're eating this excessive sugar that comes in, you know, packaged foods or even adding sugar excessively to different desserts and things like that. So that's the sugar piece, but actually there is something called casomorphines that are in cheese and those also break up into opiate compounds. And this is essentially, we believe, for evolutionary reasons, so that milk in babies, you know, babies would want to keep feeding on the milk when they're breastfeeding so that they would get the nutrition that they need and that they would be drawn to wanting to eat. And then obviously now we continue to eat dairy when we are well past that place. So we are still getting those opiate compounds from the case of morphines in the dairy that we're consuming. And this was also associated with those Narcan studies. And it's also been found that Narcan can reduce the desire for meat, which is also being linked to have some kind of opiate effects in our body. So that could be why you are not feeling well because you're still going through this withdrawal period and it's totally individual for different people. Sometimes it just takes a few days and sometimes it can be up to a couple weeks. 
So I would say to really just stick with it because when you come out the other side, you will feel absolutely so amazing. And the other thing that I think it's important to understand about this is that everybody's body is different. So, you know, for some people, when they stop having dairy and sugar and maybe meat, they will, you know, go through this withdrawal time period and then they'll feel amazing. And then they'll be kind of scared to ever have it again because you don't want to like go back and undo all the good that you've done, which as we know, when it comes to opiate, like actual opiates and drugs, once you're clean, it's not like you can dabble in it really anymore. You're supposed to stay away from it entirely. So I'm not saying that these things are like actual drugs that you can never have again. So it's really just understanding yourself and being really onto yourself and in tune to how you feel if you reintroduce some of these foods into your life in a smaller way. And just understanding and not letting your brain get in the way and think that you're going to have one slip up and then it's going to be like the whole thing is undone. It's not like you're starting from day one again. You can just bounce back from something like that and just be really in tune to how your body is reacting to it. Because again, these things can truly be like addictive substances for us. The other thing that I think is interesting to note here is that the part of our brain that wants comfort foods like sugar, dairy, and meat is also the part of our brain that responds to intimacy. So it can be very normal that when we're feeling like we're missing some of those intimate connections, we end up turning to comfort foods. So just something to consider if you find it that there are certain points in time where you're you know, kind of reaching for those foods, is there a way that you can replace that with intimacy? And it could be because maybe you live alone or maybe you, you know, whatever it may be where you feel like maybe at certain points in the night or in the day when you're feeling a little bit more lonely, how can you reach out to somebody, connect with somebody rather than turning to comfort foods to fill that void? And of course, just like everything that we're talking about in this episode, in any episode, I can always be of help when you are trying to transition, when you are cutting out things like dairy and sugar and meat, because I know for most of us, they are mainstays in our diet and we kind of don't even know where to start, but that is my expertise. (laughs) So if you ever need support with that, you can always, of course, set up a free consultation and we can chat about how I can help. And that's always linked in the show notes. You can always check that out. The next question is about intermittent fasting, and this is something that comes up often in my group coaching programs with my one-on-one clients, and intermittent fasting is definitely something that has been a huge craze, and there definitely are health benefits and plenty of studies that support that, but those studies are done mostly on men and postmenopausal women, which unfortunately is what, what most studies in general are done on naturally cycling women are pretty much left out of the vast majority of studies when it comes to diets and fitness and even medications because when we are naturally cycling at different points in our cycle different things will have different impacts and our hormones are much different than those of postmenopausal women or of men so we kind of like quote unquote overcomplicate the studies and therefore are left out So for the studies that have actually been done on cycling women, it actually shows that intermittent fasting is really not beneficial to women and that it can really mess with our hormonal function. Because basically when we don't eat for long stretches of time, our body worries that we might not have access to food. 
So what does it do in that case? First of all, it hangs on to whatever fat that it has desperately because it thinks it's gonna need to burn that because it's not gonna have access to other nutrients in order to fuel us. Also, it will start to turn reproduction off in our bodies because essentially our body is thinking, okay, if we don't have enough food, like we definitely aren't gonna spend any of our energy on like producing a baby. And granted, yes, you may be like me and you're like, well, I don't want a baby now and I don't want a baby ever. So really, why would that matter? But it's not just that, it's all of the hormonal cascade that happens in our body to create the environment for a baby to be produced. So essentially what it does is it starts messing with our estrogen levels. And as we know, once one of our hormones is disrupted, it is really just a downward spiral into other things that can be disrupted. Namely, in these cases, it can really affect our cortisol levels and our thyroid. And when these different hormones are out of balance, there can be tons of different symptoms we can experience from anxiety, low energy, weight gain, impaired cognitive function, infertility, insomnia, depression. You know, people will, their you know, cycles, of course, will definitely be getting funky. You might be missing periods entirely. But basically, just understanding that even within the realm of naturally cycling women, where there can be all these hormonal disruptions, everybody's body is different. So it's safest for women in general to be fasting for about 12 hours, so really just the time between dinner and breakfast, because it is good to allow your body to have a break from that process of digestion. And it's not so long that you will trigger a starvation response. But again, my feeling on this is to eat when you're hungry. So, you know, there's a lot of schools of thought out there that say, you know, these intermittent fasting things where you need to make sure that you wait the 12 or 16 or 18 or whatever may be out there. Or there are some that are like, you need to be eating within two hours of waking up to kickstart your metabolism. I mean, obviously there's so many different pieces of advice that are out there, but mine would be your body knows what it needs. So if you're hungry, eat. If you're not, don't. And that is really what I always tell my clients. And I've seen that it has had a major impact for many of them, you know, one particularly was she would intermittent fast. So she would not be eating breakfast and she would be starving all morning long. And then it would be like, she would reach the point where she was past starvation, which that is, you know, when you are so, so, so hungry and then you're not hungry anymore, that's not really something to celebrate because that basically means your body has given up on you providing it with actual food. And it's now hanging on to whatever it can in your body and not letting any of that fat go away because it's gonna need it for the future. And then what would happen is, you know, by the time she was finally hungry again, it would be like she was just ravenously starving and grabbing whatever she could get her hands on and making choices that weren't great. Whereas once she started just picking up on her cues and making sure that she had easy to grab snacks and things available as she was transitioning into listening to her body more, she was saying she was eating more than she ever had before. She was feeling so much better, so energized, feeling lighter, feeling less bloated. And she was like, I can't believe I'm just like eating when I want to. <laughs> Which again, really anything that tells us to not listen to what our body wants, it, I would say is not the way to go. But again, everybody's body is different. So as you're experimenting with different things, exactly what I'm saying is just listen to your body's cues and be in touch with any symptoms that you may be experiencing when you're trying something different. Because not everything, of course, like we talk about on the show, is about our weight. 
So you may be experiencing all kinds of different things when it relates to, it could be things like bloating and digestional issues, or it could be anxiety or mood things, or it could be, you know, a weird rash popping up somewhere. All of these things are connected. So as you're experimenting with this kind of stuff, just being hyper aware to how you're feeling across the board. Another question that I have gotten a lot and something that's been, something I've been talking about lately because it's been something that I've been getting back into the groove too, is what to do when you just can't get into the groove of living in a healthier lifestyle. And this could be when you're getting started or it can be when you kind of have like fallen quote unquote off track a little bit. And something that I like to say here is that it's scientifically proven that an object in motion stays in motion. And we know once we are kind of stopped, it's really hard to get started again. And like I always talk, you're probably tired of hearing me say this, is we get stuck in this all or nothing mentality and it feels like, well, I ate bad last week or last weekend or last month or whatever it may be. And then it's like, you need to make this grand entrance of perfection and everything's gotta be perfect and you have to work out six days a week and you have to completely stay away from junk food and not eat an ounce of sugar and have smoothies every day or whatever your version of that may be that it makes it almost impossible. Like the barrier of entry to get going is so like mountainous that it's just hard to get started. So I just always say like, what is the minimum move that you can make and just start there. So let's say you haven't even been, you know, drinking your eight glasses of water a day, start there. Or start with improving your breakfast instead of being like all three meals a day need to be absolutely perfect no more snacking like what again whatever arbitrary rules we you've made up because we all have these rules that we feel like are when we're quote unquote behaving or on track like just start somewhere like i always like to start with breakfast because again breakfast really sets us up for our day And when we're feeling good in the morning, it's much easier for us to make healthier decisions throughout the day. So again, it's kind of this whole concept of an object in motion stays in motion. Once you get started, the next decision and the next decision just start to get easier and easier. And even if all you can do is improve your breakfast for a week, that's still better than doing nothing. And the week after something is gonna pop up that you can decide that you are gonna improve upon that week. And before you know it, you're feeling significantly better and it all just, is starting to feel natural and flowy again. And just keeping in mind again that, you know, this going from zero to 100% is never the goal. And even me talking about 80%, if you're just going from zero to 20% and then 20 to 30 and 30 to 40, like all these increments matter and that's the way that you finally get where you wanna go. So again, I would say just starting small, I think the easiest tips, which I always talk about are making sure that you're getting enough water, trying to get the best sleep that you can, although I know all of these other things impact our sleep, so sometimes that's a hard place to start, but if it's something that is accessible to you, definitely getting sleep is huge, huge, huge. Like, one day this weekend, I just did not, we were away at my parents, and my dog was just, like, having a hard hard time, like, adjusting, kept waking me up, and I was like, wow, I'm, like, not a person when I don't get good sleep, like, and it just, it changes everything, so, like, really being onto yourself about doing the best you can, to get good sleep, focus on your water, get in a walk or some kind of movements, 
and you know trying to get a vegetable in somewhere if you're not already just naturally doing that so whether it is starting with a smoothie for breakfast or just thinking about where can i add a vegetable in even if you don't want to stop eating the fries just yet like get a salad with it just like starting to inch your way forward is going to make a difference another question which i am not surprised has come up because i've been talking about anxiety a bit as I was going through a bit of it leading up to the wedding is kind of what are different things that can contribute to anxiety because I mentioned that coffee and caffeine was a big issue for me specifically on my bachelorette. But I did wanna share that I think obviously we all know that anxiety can be triggered by situational things. So like for me, my you know planning a wedding and you know if there's you know drama in your relationships or like things like stress at work, like all of those things are like very clearly like duh, like those are associated with anxiety. We're all aware of those things. And in a lot of ways, we pretty much feel like those are things that are outside of our control in a sense. We can control obviously how we react to them, but we can't control other people. But there are lots of things that we can control that induce anxiety that might not be as obvious to us. So one of those is the chemicalized ingredients that are in junky and processed foods. So things like MSG, artificial food dyes, aspartame, I mean, so many things like that are in these junky processed foods that we may be eating, whether it is in a packaged food like Doritos or it's in fast food like McDonald's, like all of those kinds of things can include these ingredients. Aspartame is in pretty much anything that's labeled as diet that has fake sugars in it. So understanding that all of that stuff can definitely contribute to our anxiety not to mention obviously sugar, it messes with our insulin levels, which has downstream impacts to our cortisol levels, which of course we know is the stress hormone, which is directly linked to when we experience anxiety. Then there's alcohol. So alcohol impacts our serotonin levels, which is why it has us feeling really good (laughs) when we're drinking it, but then it can often trigger anxiety after we drink when our levels are lower the next day or a few hours later. And then, of course, caffeine, which is the one that I just cannot handle anymore, which stimulates our adrenal glands and our sympathetic nervous system, which is our fight or flight nervous system, which puts us in that stress response. Caffeine also inhibits our GABA neurotransmitters, and GABA is what makes us feel calm and grounded. So it's got our adrenals working out of control, and then everything that is kind of naturally in our body to help calm us down is also just turned off. So this is not to say that if you experience anxiety, you need to never have any of these things because everybody's impacted differently. Like for me, when I was going through the anxiety leading up to the wedding, of course, we all know how I feel about my wine. And I experimented with staying away from it for a few days, wondering if that was a contributing to what I was experiencing. And it, I didn't notice any difference in my anxiety levels based on that. But for me, I know staying away from the caffeine is definitely a huge thing and obviously the chemicalized stuff is something i essentially never eat anyway very very rarely so just if you are someone who is eating many of these things or just one of them and you're experiencing anxiety i would definitely recommend just giving it a shot testing it out see how you feel because i mean as someone who's experienced it it's pretty much worth cutting out anything if it means that you will feel better And of course, understanding that there are different practices that you can do to be present in your body to help manage those anxiety 
um, feelings. So I found that muscle relaxation meditations were really helpful for me. I can link up to one of them in the show notes um, that I was doing on Insight Timer. He has a Scottish accent, which I actually thought I would have not been calmed down by, but I did like it a lot. And this is really helpful because it brings you into your body and you're focusing on one body part at a time and it really helps to just make you feel present. Um, breath work, of course, which we've talked about multiple times on the show. Uh, we'll link up to my friend Kristen at Aligned and Well. She is has so many different tips and tricks and practices that can absolutely be so, so helpful when it comes to anxiety. And then what I did on my wedding day, again, was just I couldn't believe how well it worked. It was recommended by um, Jen Vitale, who's also been a guest on this show, because I was someone who... I mean, still, I have to be very intentional about it. But when I'm feeling anxious, I'm like, okay, I don't have time for this. Like, when is this going to be over kind of thing? And I would just sort of be like rushing through getting, you know, doing a muscle relaxation, doing breath work, like thinking that coming at it from that mentality was going to get me there. But instead, I just laid there and I put my hand on my heart because my heart was racing out of my chest. And I just went through how I was feeling in each part of my body and like, laid there and really let myself feel into the feeling and just accept that that's where I was in that moment and then kind of just started telling myself relaxing things you know it's going to be okay it was I experienced experienced this on the day of my wedding and I was just you know telling myself it was going to be beautiful and whatever happened it was going to be you know the happiest day because I'm marrying my you know love my life blah 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 (laughs) all that stuff and I literally felt my heart just like slow down to a normal rate it was the craziest thing so I want to shout that one from the mountaintops because it was so simple and I couldn't believe how well it worked so again if you're struggling with anxiety I so feel for you and again experimenting with cutting out one of these things and I'll link up to those other resources in the show notes as well Another question I got from a client the other day, which I thought was really funny is because she has been doing really well and when she is in a place where she's doing really well, she puts so much pressure on herself to keep doing really, really well and is scared of like slipping up, you know, classic all or nothing. And we're working on trying to release that and understanding that like life is life and there's going to be moments that aren't perfect. And, you know, it's just about the next day being right back at it again. And she said to me like, but you don't like ever eat really bad. And I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> I'm still human. Like everyone has their days where they eat really bad. And sometimes it's more than one day. I mean, in general, like my cycle of the past was I would be super, super strict all week. And then I would eat really bad every weekend. Like, you know, start with a breakfast sandwich and then have macaroni and cheese and fried. Like I probably didn't have a vegetable the entire weekend. It was like, oh, like unleash any junky thing that I can have because I've been so perfect all week. And that was why I never made any progress. Whereas now it's more that I'll still eat bad here and there, but it's it's kind of like one meal a week, maybe. And that means that, you know, like refined flour or more sugar than we really should be eating or something kind of with junky ingredients. Like I obviously am plant-based pretty much always I you know kind of being a little bit more loose with if I'm at a restaurant and it seems like there's probably egg whites and something I'm you know I'm kind of just flowing with it lately which is just kind of feeling nice to be more flexible and knowing that it's such a minute amount that it's not gonna 
have an impact on the way that I'm feeling. But, you know, understanding that it's not like every meal all the time has to be perfect. And that's kind of was the flow that I was in for the most part. Like every week, probably I would have one meal that had like some kind of ingredient in it that wasn't something that I would typically eat. But I would still surround it with vegetables and make sure that I was eating something that was fueling me and making me feel good and balanced and just trying to watch how much I was eating in general as opposed to just kind of like going balls to the wall which was my pattern previously but that's not to say that I never do those things and I've even mentioned in a couple episodes I feel like recently that after the wedding I've been you know a little (laughs) a little looser with my my normal way of eating than typically so sometimes I will have a whole weekend where I'm really not eating that great again I pretty much always start with like fruit or a smoothie or something like that in the morning if I can but not if I really don't want to and uh, granted I don't feel great on the days where I'm not eating well but I know that I'm just going to get back at it the next day and I think that that is what's so important for us all to learn is that granted yes we don't want to be in that cycle that I was in for years where it was like perfect from Monday to Friday and then Saturday and Sunday were total free-for-alls where you're just you know, completely kind of undoing everything that you did during the week. But it's understanding that there's going to be periods in your life where it's very easy and natural for you to just be having one meal a week that's, you know, not within accordance of the way that you typically want to be eating versus sometimes it's a whole weekend or sometimes it's a whole day. And that's okay. And this desire to think that if you're going to be a quote unquote healthier person, you're going to make these changes. It means that you can never eat really bad again. That's again, part of the reason why we don't make those changes. Like it's not, it does not have to be that extreme. You can always have your days and you just bounce back from them. And the more healthful you eat on the days that surround them, the less impact those days or those meals or whatever they may be will have on the way that you feel and the easier it will be to bounce back without really feeling any of those, you know, not great symptoms that come when we don't eat great. Another question that I've been asked about as I, you know, continue to tell people what I do and how I help people is like, what is the benefit that comes with working with a health coach? And I obviously could go on and on about the impact that working with various coaches and therapists and things like that have had on my life. And it's because there is this piece where you're, you know, learning information. So obviously with the people that go through my program, they're learning about, you know, clean beauty, healthy cooking, you know, making healthier choices in general, all of that. But obviously there's a lot of different sources that you could get for that information. You could just, you know, use Google. (laughs) You could just be, you know, watching all the, my free content, like listening to the podcast, all of that kind of stuff. Or when you think about when you go to like a doctor or a nutritionist, like they're going to give you information and kind of like somewhat of a path forward of these are the things that you should be doing to feel better, to address whatever issue you may be experiencing. But really what makes a coach different is the support with the actual implementation and really helping to give you the tools to implement those guidelines that you're receiving from either the coach themselves or from some other kind of um, doctor, nutritionist, therapist, whatever it may be. And lots of times that is the biggest missing piece for people is it's like they know what they 
quote unquote should do or what they want to do, but the doing it can feel really, really challenging and having a support system that can really work with you. Because again, it's not the same steps for every person. Everybody is different. We get into that mindset stuff and the stories and all of that stuff that could be making you making things feel more challenging for you versus other things feel simpler for you. And how can we really make these things work for you in your actual life and in a way that you can actually stick with them? And it's also really, you know, I'm acting as a sounding board for you. So, you know, when we talk through these topics that may be things that you haven't really been able to talk to anybody about much, like, you know, most of your friends don't really want to hear about like what you ate for dinner <laughs> for the last week. And sometimes all we want to do is talk to people about stuff like that and have them actually listen and support us. And same thing, even with a doctor or nutritionist or, you know, some other practitioner that you may be working with, they can only spend so much time with you. And as a coach, you really can spend a lot more time with people really delving into what's going on in their minds, what's going on in their lives, in their bodies. So you can really help them to make shifts. And, you know, I can really act as a sounding board in the sense of sometimes we, A, sometimes just talking about it, things come up for us that we didn't even realize by just talking through something that's never really been verbalized. And then also having someone outside of you reflect back to you what they're hearing you say and what they are seeing your thoughts and actions are kind of creating in your life. And it can really build a lot of self-awareness and help you to get over those hurdles that have been issues for you in the past. And it really is, I know for me when I've done it, it's absolutely so, so helpful. I'm pretty much always in some kind of coaching container, whether it is for my health or my business. And it's so, so helpful. And the final reason that I think that it's so helpful too is that as a coach, I'm intentionally forcing you to acknowledge the good in yourself and your actions. We celebrate the things that go well. And we're really forced the moment of you taking the time to appreciate how far you've come because we are constantly normalizing progress and just looking for the next thing. And we're never appreciating what we've already accomplished. So that alone, and that is something you could start to try and do for yourself too, it's for the, your friends in your life, or like that's just something that is such a big lesson is that we have to slow down the normalizing. And I mean, great, we should, running ahead and just doing amazing things. I'm not gonna tell you to slow down in that sense, but it's, it's appreciating how far we've come you know, taking the minute to look backwards and say like, wow, look how far I am, instead of just being like, wow, look how far away where I want to go is. And obviously, you know, the benefits from all of these things, the ripple effects are huge. I mean, when you have, when you have your health and when you're feeling energized and you're feeling, you know, confident and you're feeling, you know, clear and focused, like it's just endless what those other ripple effects can be in your life. So, that's why I love to do this. <laughs> and if this sounds like anything you're interested in, again, I would love for you to set up a free consultation and we can chat more. And then <clears throat> the final question is a really quick and simple one is, what is my favorite detox practice to tell people to get them started? And I love to tell people about tongue scraping because it is just the easiest, cheapest, simple thing that you can do that can have a definite impact. So tongue scraping is an Ayurvedic practice and it removes the ama, which is the toxic buildup that rests on top of your tongue. So it's like if you look in the mirror and you you know stick your tongue out, you'll see there's like a whitish cast on your tongue. And if you've never scraped your tongue before, chances are it's 
a lot. <laughs> so basically, as we sleep at night, our body is working on detoxifying our body and it kind of moves everything up and it ends up resting on top of our tongue. And if we don't tongue scrape and we wake up in the morning, we just start eating and drinking, we're just re-swallowing all of that buildup. Whereas if you use a tongue scraper and you basically just take it to the back of your tongue and pull forward, you just scrape off this right, the white film. And I just pretty much keep doing it and rinsing with water each time until I basically see nothing coming off. And I do this before I brush my teeth every morning and every night. And again, you want to be doing this before you drink anything. Like first thing you do is you do this and you brush your teeth. And it also has a major impact on your breath. And dentists have said that it's could be more important than brushing our teeth when it comes to oral health, which is so interesting that this is like not something that's spoken about really in Western culture when it has such a big impact on the health of our teeth and our mouth. So I definitely think that is like a super easy practice. Literally tongue scrapers are like $6 on Amazon. So I'll link up to that in the show notes and definitely something I recommend starting with ASAP. So I, you know, I'll do these Q&A episodes like pretty much quarterly. So definitely shoot me any questions that you have at the.detox.diaries on Instagram. I would love to address them. And as I've mentioned before, obviously, I'll link up in the show notes to my one-on-one coaching information and the link to set up a free consultation. A free consultation is completely free. There is absolutely no obligation to sign up. We can literally just chat if you're just like curious about how the process of coaching works. I mean, it's it's literally just some time for you to share what's going on with you, what your goals are, and we can just have a chat. And honestly, you'll get so much benefit from the free one that that's worth it in and of itself. <laughs> so if you would like to chat, I would love to chat with you. And of course, thank you so much for listening to the show. I would love if you would leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts if you're enjoying it. And of course, to share it with any friends that you think could benefit from the information. And that's it. I will see you on the next one. Bye.